Welcome to the Indian Science Show. I'm Turtle. And I'm Annie. And on today's show, we start off with some indigenous stats, or our indigenous fact for the day, but there, it's mostly some statistics. And, and then we transition into talking about this general idea of connecting to place, which mm-hmm. is actually an area that Annie is becoming one of the forefront yes, leaders in me. science in. Oh, me. Or at least that's the hope, right? That's why you're going <laughs> yeah, to graduate school. Me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's basically all we talk about is connecting to place, but it's a really deep subject. Yeah, We talk about kind of how you connect to place through even a picture. Mm -hmm. Simple stuff. I mean, it's actually a lot of it's simple, right? Yep. Simple. But it's deep and it's not easy stuff to talk about sometimes. Yeah. Because it's it's connecting to not only a place or a land, but it's also kind of how you can reconnect to your ancestors. Mm -hmm. Yep. And every time these kind of conversations happen, you always have to remember there's a cultural and a historical context mm-hmm. behind a lot of this. And with that comes the need to address historical trauma and to basically just understand where people are coming from. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a, one of the major challenges we talk about a lot in this episode is yes. we're really struggling to communicate interdisciplinarily and across cultures and even between generations between the youth and the elders and we go with, we, we talk about it a lot but it was a good episode and i felt like you were a lot more prepared than i was this time i was yeah. i was super prepared so get ready for a super prepared annie yeah super prepared super prepared annie <laughs> that kind of sounds like um almost like a superhero on a kid's cartoon yeah, well, super prepared Annie to the rescue. Unlike the real life <laughs> procrastination Annie, yeah, that waits last minute for everything. <laughs> so enjoy this episode. Yeah, because you get super prepared, <laughs> super prepared. versions of <laughs> Annie and a less than super prepared version of me. Oh yeah. For today's Indigifacts, we got a little bit of stats for you. And I actually don't have any stats. <laughs> this is I have a few. And he's got the info. Yay. November. November was a happy November. Which is good. I mean, voting. I mean, midterm elections, man. It definitely kind of gave people a little bit of hope, maybe. Because after that Trump won, man. I, I was feeling real bad. But after this election... It kind of showed me that people wanted to kind of see a different change and like people found people that they really couldn't stand behind and and women kind of really stepped up. And so I'm going to talk about three women. So I'm going to talk about uh, the first two Native American women that were elected to Congress. And so um, Deb Halid, uh, she is going to be the new congresswoman from New Mexico. She's the Guna Pueblo. And then the next one um, is Sharice Davids. And so she's the Kangas, Con- oh my gosh, the Kansas <laughs> Congresswoman. I messed that up. Um, and so she's Ho-Chunk. And what I really kind of love about this one was um, where her district is, is in Lawrence, Kansas, which is where Haskell is. So I lived there for five years and I kind of grown with the people and, and you kind of see how great Lawrence is. And it's a really, really strong Native community there um, because they have the Prairie Band Potawatomies. Which I think their reservation is like 45 miles away from Lawrence. Hmm. And uh, and then Haskell has a pretty, like, I think their student body is like mm, 
a little over a thousand. So I think it's the size of Salish yeah, Community College. Yeah, that's about. It fluctuates, yeah. but that yeah. seems about right. Um, and so like watching them go through the excitement of her winning and them kind of working with her and and kind of really understanding like the importance of it is for Kansas itself. And then they also uh, elected the um, uh, female uh, governor. And so coming from their horrible governors that they've had, I think he did like a weird tax plan that like failed epically once. I don't know. It, so for them to kind of step so up, the previous governor was really unpopular oh oh yeah. yeah oh yeah i think the last two were very unpopular um because i can't i can't remember who they were mm. that makes me wonder it, i mean it's the same because it's this very likely the same people mm-hmm. still living there i mean there's probably not that much of a difference right like yeah so not I, all the people that voted for him probably didn't just up and leave right so i think that they just were so tired of stuff staying the same like there was no change and so when people come up that have new ideas and and can really stand behind them and have good platforms. Mm, It's easy to find people who, who can see the value in what they're presenting. Hmm. Yeah. I think, you know, I think people are not really that intelligent, generally Mm -hmm. speaking, because the main reason why I believe this is a lot of people throughout my life have told me that they think that I'm smart, Mm -hmm. but I know me and I'm not really, I'm I'm kind of a dumbass. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, So I realized, well, if I'm one of the smart ones, maybe we're all just really not that intelligent in, to begin with. But what what I was thinking of is um, people do have this kind of innate sense, though. I, I do believe that people have this intuition. Everyone has this ability to intuitively sense someone's bullshit. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what people are kind of going back to that a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. I agree. They're kind of stepping up. They'll be like, no, no, you're you're lying. And, mm-hmm. and when people actually start like accepting that, hey, you can actually have someone who is behind you, who's not going to lie to you and say one thing and then completely do a different thing. That's mm. why we need to work together mm-hmm. because we're not that smart, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we need to we're work together. We're smarter when we do work together. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and the last one I want to talk about real quick is um, – uh, Peggy Flanagan, and she is the first Native American lieutenant governor in Minnesota, and she is White Earth Nation. Hmm. And Peggy, I don't think I know much about her. I I don't know much either, but my mother worked with her, and so my mom was like really kind of Did, pushing for her. when here in Montana. Uh, or... I have no idea. Oh, okay. She told me, and I forgot. Ah, the and world I feel of bad. politics. Yeah, rubbing somehow. shoulders with. People all over the place. And so she really, really, really wanted Peggy to win. And and seeing my mom react to her winning, um, because my mom was really, really kind of, she's very, very democratic, very, very into politics, very up, watches CNN and MSNBC every single day. Oh, Um, man, that must be exhausting. Uh, I, oh, it is. Even for me, I get my fill in when I go into their bedroom and I talk to her. I'm like, okay, had my news, and then I go on my way. But so she was wanting the election to be different. And then just seeing Peggy win and, and watching my mom, you know, that, that kind of made it all worth it. But mm. then the thing in Montana that made it all worth it for me was John Tester was up for reelection <clears throat> and, uh, he had a pretty tough opponent. Like he, Rosendale ended up being ex- exactly what certain people wanted. So it was tough. It, it was it was tough for John Tester to win, and it ended up being kind of natives who ended up coming out voting and and voting primarily for Tester. 
So in on the Blackfeet reservation, they had eighty nine point four percent voted for Tester. Um, yeah, those numbers are almost unheard of in the world of politics and voting. Especially in tribal politics, yeah. for people to come out. And they were high, like, high voting That's percentages. That's dang near a consensus. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, oh, I can't remember what they said, but usually, like, the percentage of the population ended up voting for um, Tester. So mm. pretty much all of them was just kind of like, yeah. And Crow, who's chairman, openly supported Rosendale. And the Crow people were like, no, 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 you don't speak for us. You don't get to endorse That's awesome. him. They voted 78% wow. for testing. Dang, that has, I think that says a lot about tribal politics mm-hmm. right there. Just it those does. numbers. And I mean, so CSKT, uh, so we we had 57%, but being where we are, we understand mm-hmm. that. We mm-hmm. understand that, white people. Yeah, um, we, there's a lot of settlers here. Yep. Um, Northern Cheyenne had seventy nine percent. Fort Peck was sixty was seventy six. Fort Belknap was ninety two percent, and um, so Harlem wasn't included in that. Then Chippewa Cree was ninety six percent too. Yeah, you know what? I want to kind of clarify that a little bit. I know a lot of settlers that voted for Tester, so I don't yeah. think that's. I don't think I think you really t- hit on it. If you have that good platform, mm-hmm. and the way I think about that is. There's certain things that we can all get behind, mm-hmm. and I, and it's getting to that point well, and, with the world where we all kind of got to get behind yeah. some well, I common can, message. I can explain kind of why Flathead is kind of the way they are, because um, our water compact hasn't been approved. We're mm-hmm. the last tribe in Montana to get their water compact approved, and it's because of the effects that it's going to have on non-tribal members. And so, and then also we bought a dam and and people didn't realize taxes. And so there's a lot of animosity that comes with, with certain, certain collisions here. So when you find that person that's like, Hey, you're gonna not talk about this water compact or you're going to try to switch it. And then that's kind of what Trump's trying to do right now. Mm. Trying to figure out ways how to. Make it not the way it is, even though it was supposed to be approved yeah. in 2010 when every other water compact was. So politics, mm. politics inside politics, you never get away from them. But it all it all kind of reminds you of where you live. You mm-hmm. know, like we all live on this reservation. We all share the same land. We have the same water. It's just kind of like who's going to. Protect yeah. it, you know. So, and and we all have different values and different opinions of what should be done with the land. It just kind of depends on how you feel about the place. And I kind of want to talk about philosophy, which I know you're gonna like about for a second. Definitely, um, I'm. I I'm love, gonna say his I name love. wrong. His name is definitely so. Like it's Archiles, Archiles, Archiles. I don't know. How is it spelled? A R C H Y L A S. Hmm. So he was from Yeah, I'm not told I'm not sure how to Archelaus. Archel oh that I like that one. Archelaus. Okay. Archelaus. So he was uh lived around fourteen oh four twenty eight to three fifty three forty seven BC. Oh, one of those Greek dudes. He was a, yeah, exactly. He was an ancient Greek philosopher. So he says that place is the first of all beings, since everything that exists is in a place and cannot exist without a place. 
Dang. That's so simple. It's deep. Yeah. So when you start to think about it, um, and then it kind of got me thinking about uh, one of Keith Basso's quotes, actually, um, in his book, uh, Wait, can, Wisdom. Wait, um, can you say that one more time? Uh, the Archelaus one? Ar- yeah. Archelaus? Uh, yeah. Arca- um, I have no idea. Places the first of all beings. Hmm. That I- right there really strikes yeah. me, that, that first part. Place... Well, when you talk about hominins, you know, like evolving and like how it was important to be in a certain place because you had to do certain predatory skills, you know, place is it. Yeah. It determines a lot. Hmm. Yeah. I'm having an, I feel like I'm having an epiphany, but I don't know what it is. (laughs) (laughs) So so maybe there's, there's gotta be a new word for that. I got to come up with a new word for that. For I'll for think, maybe think, an epiphany a uh, a brain fart epiphany <laughs> that might be it yeah um so okay so place is the first of all beings since everything that exists is in a place and cannot exist without a place mm-hmm. yeah it's pretty hard to argue with that one yeah i mean it's it's simple mm-hmm. it is simple i like at simple its point. sayings me too and so then keith basso um, who who sit, who has a book called Wisdom Sits in Places? Um, he talks about um, people, not cultures, sense places. Hmm. Yeah that that really touches on our in more of like our individual perception. Mm-hmm. But he but then the kind of people also hints at the social yeah so like he it's more than just one person yeah so it's kind of like this tribal individuality of understanding a certain location in a certain place and having certain connections to this certain place mhm hmm interesting so there's that re- your use of the word tribal gets me thinking of how we use it here in the United States mm. to, to describe Generally, the federally recognized tribes. Yeah. But not all the tribes like to be referred to that way. Especially like over in Haudenosaunee country, they don't refer to themselves as tribes. They call themselves nations, right? Mm-hmm. And same within Canada, it's different terminology. What I was thinking, though, is that that word tribe, actually tribalism, is mm-hmm. a very specific thing. It's a very specific use in anthropology and social science. Mm-hmm. And it's not... The way I've read about it the way it's described it doesn't sound like an ideal situation and it it seems to be one of the more fundamental things driving a lot of social conflict mm. is tribalism and i'm curious though i want to i want to read more of the literature on mm-hmm. it like, because i don't fully understand it yet but it doesn't it it seems like there the, the that understanding of it is like a bad thing but it's not how we see it as indigenous people the way we view ourselves as a tribe mm-hmm. is not the way they describe it in anthropology. And so I'm really curious about addressing that just for my own understanding of it, right. but it seems to be relevant to our research, mm-hmm. this whole, like how we use our words. Yeah. And, and I, I guess by what I mean by kind of tribal is I, I mean like a, a communal group of people that, that kind of understand and work together, have like from like family bonds, um, you know, you know, certain places like that when, when you can share this this kind of knowledge throughout the the, the community. Hmm. Yeah. 
that's such a never-ending thing, the whole word yeah. word usage. Every because day. there's no way to know all of the different definitions and uses of mm-hmm. stuff uh, for, uh, for all the different disciplines. But I guess that's an ongoing challenge that, I guess that's just a part of the job, <laughs> science. Yeah, it is. Um, but it's important for us mostly for because of that communication thing. So we're not – when people are reading the literature, mm-hmm. it, it's always a – there's always a compromise somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I've been – the more literature I read, the more I realize how poorly a lot of scientists actually write. And I've been learning a lot about bad writing by reading a lot of literature mm-hmm. and realizing how horrendous my own writing is. And I was like, oh. <laughs> so I started reading some books about how to get become better yeah. at writing. And that's a huge problem is in science is word use. Yeah. Uh, scientists are so in love with multisyllabic grammaticals of all sorts mm-hmm. of flavors and shapes. And <laughs> it's cool. I get it. I really right. love words and stuff. And especially when I learn a new word. Oh, yeah. I use it all the time. But we got to be careful. And I don't think we it's that useful to write in that language all yeah. the time. Yeah, um, I think it's finding a good balance of both of them. Yeah, so I think in knowing your group too, knowing yeah. who you're talking to is is important too. Mm-hmm. So understanding that you, uh, definition of tribal mm-hmm. and tribalism is important for our science, but when we're in Indian country talking to people in our community, mm-hmm. uh, it doesn't. It really doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't at all. No, because <laughs> it's not going to be useful for them to necessarily understand the in and outs of yeah. tribalism. As they don't want to know. Yeah, yeah. They, they just understand their definition of it, and they're like, "Yeah, I know. I get. Yeah, what I know it means. what my. I, yeah. I know what tribe I'm from. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> what tribe are you from? <laughs> right, exactly. Okay, and so that kind of leads to like this really interesting. So I've been talking to you a little bit about using photos and connecting to place and like kind of the different research projects that are going on. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I came across um a master's thesis that was done by uh Krista Foley. Um and it's called uh, Understanding the Connection Between People in the Land: Implications for the Social Social Ecological Health at I don't know how to say it. Ish Gate with Oh, that kind of sounds like one of those Canadian. It is. So okay. it's it's number so thirty nine, like over... Independent First Nation. I'm sorry if I butchered it. I'm. I apologize. I got no skills. Sounds like one of those Algonquin terms. Yep. I am sorry. I'm, I pro- I don't know. Yeah, I don't really Jibway. know anything. It, it's about a Jibway. It. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um. And so what? What she kind of did, and so this this is one of the quotes from it, and I kind of really liked it. Um, so it's indigenous understandings. Okay, hold on, restart. Indigenous understanding holds that health is not the mere presence or absence of disease. Rather, it's the interpretation focuses on balancing the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual aspects of the person, family, and or the community. Hmm. And so kind of like it really – so what they're talking about is like the the generational traumas that have happened within this community and, and kind of healing from that and, and kind of really using that by connecting the place. And so she focused on a photographic methodology. And uh, so within a certain amount of time frame, she, she gave people cameras to take pictures. Hmm. Oh, cool. So like little disposable cameras or something? Yeah. So I think her age range was 14 to 24 was youth. And then she had elders, but the elders necessarily weren't based on age. 
I think it was the knowledge exchange that they were able to do was considered an elder as well. Okay. Is that how the the people over there do it? Uh, no, I think it was just, it was just, the, just researcher? the researcher okay. decided to make that decision. I, don't, I think it was because maybe she didn't want to limit uh, the age range uh, for that one. Uh, okay. On, on kind of who defines an elder. Mm. Another terminology yeah, that we that's, can get into. Uh, yeah, a lot of, yeah. Yeah. I have a lot of opinions on that one. I have lots of opinions. Um, and so Mostly they, because I care about it so much. Right, exactly. I, I care about elders so much and respect and, them so much. I don't want that term to lose any value. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's I me, mean, my dad, who I consider an elder because of the knowledge that he provides, not only me, but the community in multiple ways. He's like, no, I'm not an elder. I'm not going there. That almost <laughs> qualifies you. Right. Like, that's I'm like, like one of the I'm first. Like, there. Maybe that's the beginning of when. Mm-hmm. You become an elder is when people start calling you an elder and, and you're like, no, I'm not. Yeah. And then five, ten years later, all of a sudden you're yeah. like, oh, man, what I'm the hell? An elder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not based on age. It's like you provide knowledge that that someone can look up to. Hmm. Like that's kind of what you kind of look for in, in an elder yeah. is, is someone who like really can provide you something that that you hold dear and that's who you want to learn from. It's like I kind of see them as one of the most important connections to our ancestors. Mm -hmm. And so our children. It's like uh, we're at the center of every circle. Mm -hmm. And there's an infinite number of circles all connected. Kind of like an infinite Venn diagram. Have you ever seen Alex Alex Gray's art? Mm -mm. He He does the art for tool albums ever seen any of the tool album covers uh where it's like all trippy maybe i have but i can't remember okay uh i have oh there's that one right there oh okay okay yeah the the notion of like this infinite connectivity to all of existence is something that i grew up with Mm -hmm. but we never described it like that as holistic or like traditional ecological knowledge there's these terms that really never meant anything to me until i got into science and started reading about them when you have to write about it yeah. you have to explain it to people you need a definition for it so mm-hmm. that they can understand it yeah yeah so it's that's a, a, an important gap i think needs to be addressed by scientists and people in the community mm-hmm. is how to bridge those definitions and the use of language mm-hmm. i don't know i guess just talk better <laughs> Right. So we could well, talk yeah, better to each other. Communicate better. And yeah. it, you can kind of understand both sides then. Like mm-hmm. if you kind of have like a good common connection, like you're able to better understand. And I feel like that's kind of where a disconnect lies with a lot of youth and a lot of older generation is trying to find that, that, that connection and that kind of middle ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. But okay. That's a place. good point. Yeah. Place. But it, but it also talks about, so the differences are noticeable in their pictures and that's kind of what she found out so oh i'm gonna forget this and oh. this, this is gonna be have to be on my 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 what, what, what do we call it oh my correction revision oh revision. uh correction <sighs> reflections correction reflection this is gonna have to be it okay i'm pretty sure that this research project was based on five different sacred sites that have been that they're trying to kind of um, restore into a more indigenous way for the tribal people or indigenous people or the nation right there. So they had six weeks and 
then they were able to take the pictures and then I think she had questions and then certain aspects that they had to take a picture of. The youth focused was placed uh, on elements. So did everybody go to every site? Yeah. Okay. So what I'm going to have to read. I'm going to have to. Uh, I read that's, it. That's the I, main I read thing the I was curious. Like, yeah. It's a big um, so they all went together. The elders said stuff. Um, the youth talked. So like mm. they all kind of interacted with this environment. They've okay. known this place as a sacred site to the community. So everyone's. I'm sure it's like our medicine tree where people have gone there before. Um, you kind of know the significance, um, how important it is to your people. And so it was interesting to see kind of the differences just within taking a picture. You you don't think that it's that that kind of different, right? But so the youth focus um, was placed on elements that were visually pleasing or included some aspects of the history in the form of material artifacts, such as an old shoe or a bottle at a cultural site. Hmm. But the elders... Um, chose to focus directly on culture and tradition in their photographs, such as inside the roundhouse or traditional dancing at powwows. Hmm. Inside the round. So like places and activities mm-hmm. versus objects. Yeah. And, and so then she even broke it down into gender. And there was a difference? There was a difference between huh. gender. So well, I guess, I guess that's not totally surprising. Yeah. It, and when you think about it, it, it's not, but then you realize how different each connection to place is per person. Mm-hmm. The implications of that mm-hmm. data, that's what's really powerful, I think. Exactly. Okay, so female participants more often took pictures that included children or had um, a connection to the activities, interests, or roles of the future generations. Makes sense. Moms, lots of moms, mm-hmm. lots of women who, who kind of interact with kids. But the male's participation... Um, our participants more often chose to photograph the land and its provisions. And so this kind of fits in. Ah, you know that I was, as you were describing it, I would think I, my immediate thought was like, what would I take a picture of? Yeah. And, and I, I would was take thinking my, like landscapes. My nieces and my nephews. I really like yeah. to, yeah. See, I would hundred <laughs> percent so, be yeah. my nieces and my nephews. Um, and so, and it's really cool because. I'll be trying to get that pond and the elk in the background. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it ties back into the traditional Ojibwe family structure in which women typically held the role of a primary caregiver and a homemaker. And men typically had roles um, as a provider in terms of necessities. Mm-hmm. I think it's really important to challenge these kinds of identities mm-hmm. and these roles. Yet. We shouldn't say they're wrong if people want to live that yeah, way. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I think I, love, I like it. Yeah. My family, we all we have our gender roles, and we're very mm-hmm. clear about them to each other. I think kind of because we live in an age where these kind of conversations happen. Mm-hmm. But we, had, I remember, there was a specific time where we we all talked about, okay, well, are you fine with just like beating and stuff and cooking all the time? Because, I mean, I can do that, too. Yeah. Yet we all agreed that, well, this is what I enjoy doing. Yeah. So. Well, I, I mean, I enjoy beating and yeah. I enjoy cooking. And, like, yeah, and uh, but I also enjoy being outdoors and I mm-hmm. enjoy hiking and I enjoy, you know, the other things that that exactly. I think they probably did, too. But I think that one thing that I think that we lack today in in, in especially in indigenous communities is kind of where, like, your role in the community. Like, what do you do? Where do you belong? Are you good enough? You know, like these these certain things that kind of are very different than it was even like 125 years ago, you mm-hmm. know, 100 years ago. Yeah. 
I heard recently Joe Rogan put it like this, that, I mean, say we can live to about 100 years. Some mm-hmm. people live longer. Some people live a little bit less. And that's been the case for actually quite a while, even before modern medicine. People would still, on occasion, live to 100. So that's like a person ago, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, well, and the sad part about that is in a lot of indigenous communities, we die a generation before a lot of other people. So mm. while while some people will live that, I think our age range is like 60 maybe, I think is what the median is. I know it's lower than the standard. And I know mm-hmm. that the actual life yeah. expectancy of people is not 100. Yeah. But, That's but just I, like a, I think that just, an analogy. Yeah. But I think that does. I think it, it touches on the fact that it is just a generation ago that there was mm-hmm. a dramatic change in a lot of the lifestyles that indigenous people used to live. Yeah. And, uh, and it's it's so it's interesting to see how these roles are still kind of playing out, but in a modern sense of stay at home moms, but then they're stay at home dads too. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, I'm kind of a stay at home dad. Yeah. I mean, I I work from home, but I also I cook every single yeah, you're able almost every single meal to be here. Yeah, but I love to cook, mm-hmm. and I want my kids to have really good food. Yeah, and so I think that we're kind of evolving and like adapting to to these new systems and and I and I know that some people feel like we may be losing some things. Yeah. You, you know, when you talk to older generations, you know, they don't feel the same way that we do on certain situations. And it's understandable when when you are raised in a different era. Like it mm-hmm. it, it is just that. And um but it also kind of shows you that mm. you need each other because you can't have the full picture without knowing your past. And you also can't know kind of what the future holds without knowing your future generations. So spending time with your kids and your grandkids or in my cases, my nieces and my nephews and their kids. and then But it's also knowing and working with elders and talking to your parents, talking to your grandparents. Ask them funny stories. My dad, I know a lot about my dad but that's because i ask him and he wants me to know yeah i know that a lot of elders are frustrated about that Mm -hmm. that hardly anyone comes and asks yeah just talk they'd love to talk they love to talk Mm -hmm. oh yeah (laughs) Uh, they will talk your off i've been teased because i I mean i can talk too Mm -hmm. much quite often (laughs) but I've been teased for being long-winded. And he's like, I had someone tell me, well, you're on your, well on your way to being an elder. Mm-hmm. And I poke fun at that. But at the same time, the um, there's a lot to be said about slowing yourself down. And just allowing people a little bit of time to think about what you just said. Mm-hmm. And that's something I really appreciate about el- elders. And I would like to do right. more. <laughs> Have patience like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the last thing that I want to talk about on this project um, was she asked them to take photographs that exemplified their connection with the land. And um, in terms of both kind of the past, so like their tradition, objects, and stories, and also in terms of where and how the people have gone where they are, um, they focus all the pictures kind of on infrastructures and like their teachers. Hmm. 
So like people in our lives who taught them places that taught them certain lessons, like specific places. So it's kind of interesting because we go to the medicine tree, you know, that, that has been a sacred site for Bitterroot Salish people. But then people, a Dumbad tribe goes a different spot. So mm. yeah, I mean, I, I think that if I was to talk about a connection with the land, it would be somewhere in the Bitterroot Valley for me. And maybe the mountains, the Mission Mountains, because as for, since the force, the last removal of the Bitterroot from the Bitterroot Salish from the Bitterroot Valley was 127 years ago. Mm-hmm. So we've been on this land for, for since that long, yeah. and then half the tribe was even before then. I think it's a human thing, and we just there's different ways to connect mm-hmm. with land, and there's there's definitely a lot to be said about that generational connection. Mm-hmm. I do believe though that you can find very deep connections just in your lifetime, and that's a beginning to how I believe. It's not even just a belief, though. Actually, this is kind of based in some of the literature I've been reading that we that this is a legit way to re-indigenize people mm-hmm. to landscapes that had been impacted by colonization. And because I've been kind of following what's been going on in South Africa, and it's oh. starting to kind of look a little scary. The water? No, with uh, the how with the politics and how they're. Um, reallocating oh. the land down there and they're going to move all the white settlers out of there. And uh, it sounds like they're going to like move them out and they're not going to just like expect them to move out on their own dime. But oh, still though, it's causing a lot mm-hmm. of conflict and I'm just curious about, uh, I don't necessarily agree. With, I don't know if that, I don't know if that'd work here. I mean, it's just, yeah. it's very different culture, It is, but I don't know if it's working there either. Cause for one, I'm not from there. Mm-hmm. I don't really know what the history has been like there. Mm-hmm. And I know if you want to learn about racism, you can go to South Africa and you can go to Mississippi. Mm-hmm. It's almost like the Mississippi of, I guess, the <laughs> British colonies. Right. <laughs> like one of the worst places that um, these kind of law regimes took hold. So I, I really can't speak much on uh, whether I agree for that f- for them. But for here in the United States, it just doesn't seem right. Like, uh, it, it seems like there's going to be a lot of violence. And uh, I'm not down with violence, unnecessary violence. Like, there is a certain, there's a place for it, like, to defend yourself. Like, well, hunting. You got to be violent sometimes. It's not bad, but how, how we are integrating it into our lives is really important i think and i think that uh i think that it's important to realize that your kind of your time on that land doesn't determine kind of your own connection to that place like everyone's going to be individual it's just that what happens with indigenous communities in connecting to places they've kind of been in this place since time immemorial since like their creation stories mm-hmm. that have been passed down from generations that have learned and and died from this land and and you know it's this kind of this deeper connection and this communal understanding that kind of really 
determines a lot of kind of your own happiness in your community and kind of your own kind of structural and I don't know structural um implications you know that come when when stuff is like that when that's disturbed so forcible removals um lead to that um the allotment act led to a lot of 60 percent ended up being white settlers at that point you know like well here on the flathead nation you know when a lot more was taken on a lot of eastern side eastern tribes or if you look down in in south africa you know like when you look at these places that had had a connection to land before and so but then you also have people and this is where you have to have every seat at the table has a different opinion but who has been here for over a hundred years you know and they have different connections to this land and that makes it so hard to kind of wrap your head around because keith basso in the very beginning of his book talks about kind of how kind of complex the word places yeah you know like exactly how you and he kind of explains it in a simple way of kind of how i look at it explains how like he he put it as you don't notice the importance of a place until that place is taken away and you realize your own vulnerability to that place. Mm-hmm. So he talks about how you have a change in smell or a change in eye view. So when you're walking around and you see more or less sky, then you notice the differences of that place that, that you're thinking of. And so it's true when like with indigenous communities that have been removed um, if you consider uh, Kaya and, the, and what Kaya is doing with um, citizen band Potawatomi people that were removed multiple times and now live in completely different landscapes than they were, how do you connect to that place and how do you then fix these kind of vulnerabilities that you feel on this land? You know, and that's why I think connecting the place is so important and, and yeah. how you do that. I'm not limiting it to just indigenous people. Everyone should find their connection to place, connecting to a certain land. And then you'll realize why indigenous people are so right when it comes to protecting it. If you actually connect to it and, and you understand not even like a scientific way, like the water cycle or how life works, not even like that, but just like understanding that each plant is giving you something and not asking for anything in return other than respect. Hmm. It's hard. It's uh, it's hard to get that through to people. Place. Place. I think about what Neil says as far as what their struggle is with the Haudenosaunee and specifically the land rights action Mm -hmm. that their main goal, what they're, Really, their only desire is to return the law of the land to that place. Mm -hmm. And the law of the land has nothing to do with politics, has nothing to do with what government system. It simply touches on that idea that the wisdom that came from thousands of years of interacting with that place is you just can't. It's there's no way to really truly understand how valuable that is. Mm to being able to understand your place in that place and be able, being able to function accordingly. And if, if it really is about practicality or optimization, then 
why not try to right. to learn as much as possible about a place? So as far um I kind of like when I was talking about the South Africa I feel like that's really what is going on is that that's what needs to happen is and the the people that are from that place are the people that have that knowledge. Mm-hmm. Yet we can't ignore historical context and what actually happened. And in this country, the colony the colony system was quite a bit different in the way it played out historically than what happened in South Africa. Mm-hmm. So for that reason alone, this this reindigenization movement or decolonization movement, however you want to label it, I, f- I feel like they're very similar. They're part of the same kind of spectrum, the same paradigm shift that we're experiencing. It's going to look different mm-hmm. depending on what the historical context is. So I, I, I really agree with Neil that it's not about... Sending everyone packing and making everyone, anyone leave. It's about returning the law of the land to mm-hmm. that place. And that's got to involve the native people, the indigenous folks that have been there. And that's kind of something that I've been, well, I don't know I've been struggling with it. One of the common questions that I get asked is, um, why? what do natives want an apology for? So and I was like, it's not an apology. Yeah. <laughs> it's like acknowledging. Like we just want acknowledgement on our place names. You know what we call it, our languages, our history, our science. You know, it's not like some big scheme that we're just a lot of victims. You know. No, I mean we're just we're like anybody. People, people yeah. there's. There's natives out there that I don't like, and they're mm-hmm. they victimize themselves, and that anyone is susceptible to that. But there's historical context that I think exactly. a lot of folks that say those those kinds of things they're just they just don't they're either unaware or they're maybe ignorant or they're maybe on purpose, maybe not on purpose to the facts of how like what we've actually experienced over the last two hundred. 300 years and that's important to be aware of that so and that's something for people and especially when they're facing their own traumas are really hard to kind of grasp is like other people's traumas and kind of just letting them determine what they need and i think that one of the ways that i want to end on a good note is is i kind of had my own big change in my life when I walked the same path that my ancestors did when they were removed from our ancestral lands. And you kind of see the river and you know that that's the river that they saw. You look at the mountains and you know that that's the mountains that they saw. Well, now we have roads and cards and paved paths and all this kind of Missoula, all this big cities. Mm, Dairy Queen. Dairy Queen. Um, it's the land never changes really. If, if you're lucky enough to live in where we live, where the landscape really doesn't change, you're able to really be outdoors. Yeah. You can see trees. You can see trees. And, and so I don't know, my advice, my good thought for the day is going to be go outside to your ancestral lands, touch a plant, respect that plant, 
be happy in that moment and just breathe that air. Because, man, that's what they did. Yeah. I, even if I was just thinking about, well, what if I'm Italian and I'm Polish and I'm Russian? I have that kind of ancestry. Mm-hmm. Go it's there. Like, well, so what, what do I do then? And that's exactly what I was going to say. Well, take a trip, man. Doesn't mean you got to go move there and start speaking Russian, right? right? But you can go and visit that place, actually experience what your ancestors experienced. I mean, I would love to do that. I've, I'm a quarter Welsh, and I would love to kind of yeah. go there and kind of see because and learn. It's not a logical thing. Yeah. It has a very deep, profound effect on people. And there's no escaping the human connection to land. It happens wherever we go and... It's. I, I believe it's actually a part of why we're so successful as a species because mm-hmm. we can go to a place and connect in a really deep spiritual and philosophical way mm-hmm. and then gain lots and lots of insights about how stuff works in that area by being there for generations and generations and observing through that intergenerational time. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah, it's just fascinating how all these different knowledge systems work. And that they're all very capable of discovering very important insights about our nature and the nature of nature and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, it's just a tragedy that it's the, all that has been so hidden and restricted mm-hmm. for so long simply because scientists got obsessed with a method. <laughs> right. Well... Well, that's silly. We're going to change it. <laughs> we're, we're not like gonna I said do earlier, we're, we're just a bunch of silly humans. We're not going to do that's that. That's okay. <laughs> um, so I think we didn't end, we haven't ended on a thankful note in a while. Um. Well, we did one the last couple we released that were uh, the. Did we think? Yeah, on, on Ronin's. Oh, we did. Yeah. We did. Hey, we, we you remembered. I mm-hmm. forgot. Um. So what do you think? I can go for? first. I can go first because it's been a rough week. It's in a rough couple weeks. Um, yeah, I'm just super, super thankful for my family. Like I, you know, it's it's hard. So I'm going to cry. But, um, you know, I had an aunt that passed away who really, really suffered, suffered from the trauma that she faced here, you know. And uh, you just want to think that they're at a better place and, and, and really kind of the the pain, you know, is, is left on you, you know, cause I hope that she's super healthy and like super happy and, and, you know, living her best life right now because she didn't do that while she was here. And, uh, you know, my family is amazing. So if my family is listening, I hope generally, I think a quarter of our, downloads are from my family probably <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah my my family my sisters my especially my i was mom. looking at it and we're it's weird we're all over the world in like places i wouldn't have thought mm-hmm. like india and <laughs> spain but i bet still though right it's probably mostly our family <laughs> <laughs> exactly it's probably mostly our family because we have an amazing family and yeah. and we're we're close cousins and we have similar families and mm-hmm. you know and it's it's amazing and so my family my sisters my mom my dad um cousins numerous cousins numerous aunts numerous uncles um 
you when you're when you, when you're in pain, you truly see how many people love you and uh, just want to be there for you. So that's my thankfulness. Hmm. Yeah, it's really hard to deal with the really painful things in life without mm-hmm. other people, without some kind of human like, and it's that human contact. I don't think support lines are yeah. will cut it for yeah, no. everything. Being able to hug someone and and be in their presence is, mm-hmm. is is so relaxing. Like my mom's best friend came down from Helena and uh just having her there for my mom was so so comforting to me. Yeah. Because I know my mom was going through a really tough time. And uh, just being there, just having her there and and that connection and that love, that love Mm -hmm. can't be expressed really through a phone. Yeah. And that's, I've been realizing more and more as I get older that love isn't even an emotion. It's where a lot of our emotions come from, Mm -hmm. but it's actually more of a belief. It's like what you do. It's an Mm -hmm. action. It's a set of actions and it's a choice. And it takes a lot of work. It does. <laughs> <laughs> but that, I mean, most good things do. Yeah. If it's really worth it, then it's going to be hard sometimes. It's going to be hard. Yeah. You're going to have hard moments, but mm-hmm. it's going to get better. That's why, that reminds me of what Robin told you last year about how why it's so worth it to be a part of an indigenous community, even though it's mm-hmm. so hard sometimes, is because of that love. Because it you is. get, there's so much of it. Yeah, so much. And, and, and it's genuine, too. Mm. It's like a genuine care and a genuine love that. Yeah. What love isn't genuine though, right? Yeah, well. It's not really love if it's not genuine. It's an illusion. It's an illusion. So, yeah, one of those uh one of those uh I was kind of okay. We're not going to get on that cuz we could wander down that train <laughs> oh, yeah. all day. What what's the science on the illusion of love? <laughs> what are you thankful for? You know what? That that actually gets me thinking about our listeners. Mm-hmm. And that in a way it's like we're growing our family and we're sharing yes. our medicine with all these different people all over the place. And whether they, what they do with it is a whole nother thing. That's up to, it's up to you mm-hmm. <laughs> listening. Yeah. But I'm, I just want to really be grateful to all the listeners and thinking about the downloads. We actually got over, we're getting close to 2000 downloads, which doesn't, it, it seems like a lot, but really, that's not that many with like for podcasts. I think I was reading um like to to get on the top five list in mm-hmm. iTunes, you have to get like they're they they gauge it in thousands of downloads in the first hours in the first oh, twenty four hours we'll get there. It's like yeah, we Eventually. we got about that much in the first three months yeah hey, hey, we're gonna <laughs> but get there. but my point is is that each I'm not looking for a million listeners. I'm glad. To, I would be glad to share this message with even one person, mm-hmm. and even to, even it, because I, I know I've been wrong on things, and I'm going to continue to make mistakes and be wrong. But the just to be able to impact someone's life in a way to get them to try to just to be a better version of themselves in whatever form that takes, that's a huge win to me, and mm-hmm. that makes everything worth it. So. I want to be grateful to everybody that is listening right now and continues to listen. And if we are impacting your life in any way, I'm grateful for that. 
that's what I'm grateful for today is to be able to make a positive impact in anyone's life, no matter what I do. And that's, yeah, exactly. So I'm going to keep striving for that. And if we're making a negative impact in your life right now, let Let us us know. know. Yeah. Yeah, Give a, get on iTunes and give us a review. Give us one stars or maybe half star. I'm not sure if you can do a half star. star? I don't know. Well, but you can find out. I that's guess, one way that's you can let us know. Yeah. If we're sucking it up here on the Indian Science Show, let us know. And we'll be sure to take that into consideration. We will. Yeah. But if we are doing a good job and you like the show, reviews really help a lot. Mm-hmm. Especially on iTunes. The iTunes reviews actually go into this big system and it helps us get out on the internet. It helps us get more listeners. It helps us get this message out to more people. Mm-hmm. And that's my main goal um, it, yeah. to people that want the message because not everybody wants it or maybe I don't even think everybody needs this. <laughs> so. I know it's kind of ramble. That's all <laughs> yeah. we do all day. <laughs> yeah. So thanks for listening. Thank you. Ramblers out. Bye. Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to download the podcast, you can find us at any of the main platforms like iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and definitely leave a review for us on iTunes. It helps a ton. And it also helps us understand what people would like to hear more of. So we definitely appreciate that. Mm -hmm. And you can also find us at our WordPress page. And also on social media, right? Yep. We are on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, all at NDN Science Show. So NDN Science Show, where you can let us know how we're doing or if you have an idea for the show. Yeah. Let us and know. And we'll put out announcements for our releases, as well as some other content we're working on trying to get some videos, as well as mm-hmm. do other different things. So... You can find out about all that on those places, the social media. But we also have a WordPress page. And just like Annie said, it's at NDN Science Show. And the spelling of it is N-D-N-S-C-I-E-N-C-E-S-H-O-W dot WordPress dot com. That's NDNScienceShow.WordPress.com. Thanks again for tuning in. We'll catch you on the flip side.